Welcome back to Core Conversations, a CoreLogic podcast. I am your host, May Claire Bolton-Smith, and I'm the Senior Leader of Research and Content Strategy with CoreLogic. In this podcast, we'll have conversations with industry experts about key topics, from housing affordability to the impacts of natural disasters on property. When talking about real estate, we always hear the phrase location, location, location as the number one factor determining the value and attractiveness of a property. But where something is located actually underpins the entirety of the housing economy. The general location of a beautiful waterfront mansion will tell us that the home has a high market value, but getting the placement of the building on the parcel of land just right can determine for a lender whether or not a homeowner has to buy flood insurance. And the precise distance from foliage can tell an insurance company how likely the house is to catch fire. Sometimes, knowledge of location can even save lives. Knowing precisely where a pipeline is before breaking ground can mean the difference between injuries and a beautiful new development. So for our episode today, we're going to dive into location intelligence with one of CoreLogic's experts, Matt Carley, who leads the team responsible for the CoreLogic Geospatial Property and Location Intelligence product portfolio. Matt, welcome to Core Conversations. Hey, Matt Claire. Thanks and for having me on the pod today. It's great to be with you. Awesome. Okay, so to get us started today, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and your role here at CoreLogic? No, absolutely. So I have been with CoreLogic for over 20 years, and I've been in a variety of roles in that time. Uh, but what's interesting about them is they're all and each and every one of them has been rooted in property location and location intelligence in some way, whether it was being responsible for, you know, actually performing flood zone determinations and looking up individual properties or managing the teams associated with that or building out like large scale nationwide uh, property level uh, geospatial data sets. Uh, it's in some way or another. I've, I've always been involved in property level location intelligence. That's really cool. So I'm glad to have you here today. And just to start off the top, can you explain what we mean when you say location intelligence? Can you define that for our listeners? Yeah, and it's it's a, it's a great question to start with because location intelligence can be really broadly defined. Um, mm. So if I can give it a shot, it, it, it all has to do, it, and it all comes into play whenever you're talking about data elements, and those elements could be anything. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what they are, and you're applying some sort of geographic or mapping component to them. You want to know where they are in the physical world. At the end of the day, what you're trying to understand is how these elements relate to their to the, the place that they are in the physical world and and all the things that are in their immediate vicinity. And, and you're stepping into the role of location intelligence when you're thinking about it that way. Uh, a perfect example of this that I can point you to is a question that I actually asked you yesterday, my Claire, and I had, I, there's a long story about why I asked you that question, but it had to do, <laughs> it had to do with, with the address of the old CoreLogic Austin office. CoreLogic moved their Austin office about two years ago, and I asked you for the address. And the, the answer you gave me was absolutely perfect perfect example of location intelligence because you said it's the <laughs> office building behind the Whole Foods. And while that isn't the address that I was looking for, it was an absolutely amazing example because it's grounded in, the location of that office is grounded in its proximity to the Whole Foods. And that's how you think about it. And and, and Exactly it's, it's, where yeah, it is. That's right. It's exactly, well, I mean, there's a La Quinta between the office and the Whole Foods, but, but close enough, you know. Uh, but that but gets to the point. It's, you're, you're, you're comparing something that you can know and relate to on the earth and saying, 
whatever I am interested in is in proximity to that thing. Um, so when you're thinking about advanced location intelligence, you're generally talking about utilizing big data sets and oftentimes complex and multifaceted data sets to sort out the complex relationships that exist between different data elements. And, and there's no way to arrive at an exhaustive list of what those data sets might be. It's really going to be completely dependent on what question you're trying to answer or what you're trying to get insight yeah. into. And, and there's also a very, very heavy software and hardware component to it uh, that you've got to really think about to, to really get to, to large scale, deep learning, deep analytical location intelligence. That, first of all, I had no idea that you were testing me and I'm glad I gave you an informative answer. And my first response was, you worked in that office for 20 years. Why are you asking me where it was? Oh, I knew but exactly what anyway. the address was. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm sure you did. But no, that was uh, that was fantastic. I love that example. And it's such a perfect way to get us started. So who uses this kind of information? I mean, all of us know relatively where buildings are. But is it relevant if we're looking at like from a homeowner or a business? Is it who would use this information and what types of if we locked, locked, looked at businesses specifically, what kind of businesses would use location intelligence information? Well, I know that you've heard me say this before, May Claire, but our, our listeners probably haven't, that, that everything is spatial. Like in, in my world, I view everything mm -hmm. as having a spatial component. And so so absolutely, homeowners are going to be interested in, in a location component, a spatial component. Uh, businesses are, are obviously going to be interested in, in a spatial component. I'm, I'm, I'm often of the mindset, and, and I, I know you've heard me say this before, too, that if businesses aren't thinking about their assets, their infrastructure, their product portfolio in a spatial manner, they're, they're really potentially being left behind and they're missing a key component of, of insights into their customers, into their assets, into their infrastructure that, that is really going to be important for developing and, and, and growing their business in a, in a way that really makes sense for their customer. Okay, so if we look at CoreLogic and you've been doing this half your life, more than half your life, and sure. when we look at... at, at at CoreLogic specifically, are there examples where we've provided data on location intelligence that have had a really big impact? Like, can you give some examples of how this has been really relevant? Right. So I would say that the biggest area that CoreLogic's really made a, a, a very sizable impact in the area of location intelligence is, is related to our ability to, to locate structures and properties at a very, very granular level. Um, you know, if you go back into the, the early 2000s, even, you know, and you think of the world of geocoding, like geocoding was all based on an interpolated street, right? If you, were, you were guessing where along a street segment a particular property was. And anybody who you Used any sort of mapping application and during that time frame whether it was the late 90s or the early 2000s you know you might remember you know MapQuest and you know like you looked up your address in MapQuest to go to a friend's house and you ended up halfway down the block or you know if you were lucky if you were halfway down the block um, and that's because it was utilizing street data to try to arrive at a precise location well CoreLogic really tried to identify where we where we could provide deep insights into the precision of a of a location in a property, and and that goes back to our roots in the flood the flood services business that I referenced was one of my first jobs is performing those flood zone determinations and locating properties at a at a very granular very precise level. So so what we really focused on was 
how can we take that capability that we developed as part of that internal business and scale it out to other users outside of CoreLogic? And that, that really is an area that we've had a really large impact in. So you triggered a thought there, and I'm, I want to stay on this topic of natural hazards. And you've mentioned flood, and I know flood's a big one. So mm-hmm. when we, we talk on this podcast a lot about the impacts that natural hazards do have on property. So when we think of location intelligence, how can we help improve responding to a natural disaster, especially because many times time is of the essence? Right. No. And that's, that's, that's key. And, and I've, I've said before, we've got customers that are in, in emergency response. They're in, in community engagement. Mm-hmm. They're, in, they're responsible for critical infrastructure. And, and they ask themselves this question all the time. And the most progressive of these companies are asking that far before an event's going to happen. Um, you know, if you're, if you're mm-hmm. responding and you're trying to make those decisions when an event has happened, you're, you're, you're way behind the, behind the eight ball. You're going to have a really hard time responding effectively to those, those uh, those events. So, so the key thing I would say would preparation, like what is, what is the yeah. key threats to your infrastructure? How are, how are your infrastructure potentially going to be put at risk by different events? And there's lots of different things you can consult as part of that. As it focuses on the area of location intelligence, where are the high risk areas? You know, you're very familiar with the natural hazard, hazard risk mm-hmm. areas. Where are those high, those areas of high, medium and lower risk? What is there? Yeah you know, from, from a perspective of whether you're managing infrastructure, whether you're managing your own assets, or you're a community responder. You know, what's there? Is it a bunch of single family residences? Is it a school? Is it a hospital? Is it a fire station that's, that, that might be potentially damaged by this and take out an entire fire department? Uh, th- those are key questions you need to start asking yourself, uh, regardless of, of your position, whether you're a community leader or whether you're in business, what of your critical infrastructure is going to be impacted by any potential event? And how do you plan for that and mitigate around it? Yeah, no, and I'm so glad you got into that because this the topic of resilience and really preparing for a disaster before it happens is one that's really important to me. And it's something that we've talked about a lot on this podcast before too. And I think you're really kind of getting into that. And I know myself and many of the people that we work with, like important parts of our careers are we so passionate about helping people. And I think you've given some examples of how location intelligence can help protect or help people. Uh, off the top, I use the example specifically of you know, if you have this beautiful home by the river, does that home need flood insurance? And knowing exactly where the property is and the location intelligence can really help you understand, is that in a floodplain? Do you need flood insurance? If you can see a river, you need flood insurance is my personal view. But I mean, it it can give you like a better understanding. And from an insurance company perspective too, can give you an understanding if you are underwriting a home that is of risk Um, for both wildfire, if you're near, you know, trees and a lot of brush zones or if you're near water and potentially a flood zone so can you talk a little bit just because you're so you've had so much experience with the flood zone determination stuff specifically yeah can you talk a little bit about that and how that works and why it's so important yeah, and, and no, it's it's a fantastic question because because it's a thing that no one thinks about, right? And I mean, your example of, you know, mm-hmm. if you can see a river, you probably need flood insurance, right? Um, <laughs> you know, I would take it one step further. I remember in my time in, in the flood zone determination business, like one of the things you do is like, you're performing the flood zone determinations for somebody's mortgage to be underwritten, right? And that, and, and mm-hmm. if, you've, if, if you determine that they're in a flood zone, there's a process where they can come by and say, we think you're wrong. 
right? We think that you're not correct about that. And, and that's called a dispute process. We'll essentially redo the term determination. We'll help them through any sort of map amendment process that might be necessary. But I remember one example where it was, and it sticks in my mind, you know, 20 years later, where a customer came back and they said, they, they, they submitted like a hand-drawn sketch of their property, you know, and it was like where the house was, where it was on the property. And at the back of the property, they said, you know, like, hey, here's the house. And then here's, here's the dry creek. And it said, you know, this creek is this creek is dry until it rains. And it's just that's exactly right. And, and I mean, they're probably exactly right. There probably is no water in that creek until it rains. But the fact that when it rains, the, the map has shown that it's going to it's going to impact that structure and place them in a flood right. zone and a high level of flood risk. And it's flood is one of those things that no one thinks about until it's happening. And that's the reason that FEMA right. exists yeah. and the NFIP exists. And it has that requirement for mortgage companies to require flood insurance when yeah. The, the house is at a high level of risk. Now, it's not perfect. Uh, that's the reason we have some other products that augment that for insurance companies and mortgage companies alike. But but it, it, it's, it's important that people have, have knowledge that that risk is there. And it's not always apparent because the creek is dry. Right. Right. And, and you did, I'm going to do a little acronym check here. You did mention NFIP, which is the National Flood Insurance yeah. Program. Um, I want to talk about that a little bit too, because a lot of people, to get a mortgage, if you are in a, a determined flood zone as defined by FEMA, then you're required to get a flood, flood insurance under the NFIP. But those are not the only areas that can flood. And I think that that's, that's exactly something right. that people need to consider as well, too. And that's part of knowing your risk and having an accurate representation of where your property is and understanding that what your risk actually could be. Yep, that's exactly right. Because, because again, the... The, the FEMA special flood hazard area uh, is, is is defined by a line on a map. And I, I know and many others know that the flood waters are not bound by that line on a map. Yeah. Uh, they do not respect it for some reason. Um, and so and so, yeah, it doesn't it isn't necessarily a true um uh, representation of your overall risk of a flood right. um just just like any other any other sort of risk map isn't necessarily a representation of any particular level of risk right. for any event yeah it's not binary it's not Correct. risk or not it's risk. not a yes there's no a, exactly yeah there's level levels of risk and those waterfront homes are the ones that are the most desirable. Like that's where everybody Absolutely. wants to live. So you're understanding where your risk is. So, okay. So if we think about the risk and the importance of location intelligence for things that are not related to natural hazards, what are some examples of where location intelligence is, is relevant or important there? Oh no, that's a that's a fantastic fantastic question because because it's not limited to natural hazard. Like we 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 serve mm -hmm. a lot of industries that that aren't dealing with natural hazard at all. They're dealing with you know fleet management or they're dealing with with infrastructure management, whether that be power lines sure. like communication lines, you know, whether it's long haul cable or five G towers or or something like that. They need to understand where is that what is that infrastructure near? What is what what what's put potentially putting it, it at risk? Right? You think about uh, vegetation management for the utility companies. Uh, one of the things that we know from, from the storms in Texas is, is obviously there was a lot going on in the, in the winter storm in Texas in February of, of, of 2021. Yeah, but, but, but one of the things that, that, that we know was, was an impact outside of the generation problems was power lines were being impacted by downed trees, downed limbs, things like that. And one of the things utilities and utility customers know this very well, like, like utilities know that, that they've got to manage this. It's called vegetation management. And they've got to go in, they've got to 
to keep mm -hmm. the trees and the brush and whatever might be growing around those utility lines away from them uh, so that they don't fail catastrophically. So they don't have outages or at least that they're limited and can be dealt with quickly. And if you don't appropriately manage your vegetation, you're not going to know that. Well, understanding where your lines are, what's near them is going to impact your efficiency as it relates to that vegetation management ah. program. You know, if you're if you're in an area, and the Central Texas area is a good, is a good example. I'm from the, I'm from Central Texas, so I'm, I, I can speak to that really really well. Uh, if you get if you go east of Interstate 35, you know it's it's relatively flat land. There's not near as many trees and and, and and everything like that. As you move west of Interstate 35 in the Austin area, you know there's a lot more trees. There's a lot more brush. Uh, it's a lot mm -hmm. more hilly terrain, um, and all of that impacts how efficient you're going to be in managing your your vegetation. You know you're probably going to have to go trim right. more frequently. It's going to put your crews at more yeah. risk. Um, and so you, you've got to, you've got to consider that, and that allows those users to 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 manage that effectively. Right, and and I mean you use an example in in Austin, but I think every one of us can just think of where we live and think of similar examples of where there's vegetation and where there's terrain, and it's not unique to a particular city. This is it happens everywhere. What about we talked we talked a lot about kind of the impacts on homeowners and businesses. Well, I know you do a lot of work in the utility space as well too. Are there any examples that you can share that where location intelligence has been really relevant and important? Well, so one of the one of the areas that that always sticks out to me is is it's not just what's on the ground now that you've got to consider mm. it's, it's 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 what was there before and what's and what what could be there in the future um an example that i always like to think of is you know if 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 rancher rancher anderson has it has a parcel and he and and he's adjacent to a pipeline that, that that my oil and gas company put in the ground you know 10 years ago you know let's say 2005 they put an oil and gas pipeline in and it's it's open ranch land there's nothing around you know so yeah. the oil and gas company's not too concerned about that. Well, Mr. Anderson sells his ranch to a, a farm and they develop Anderson Ranch Subdivision that is a multi-use subdivision. It's got 150 single-family residences. It's got a commercial area with a Starbucks and a and and a and a, and a and a bookstore and, and, and whatnot, a couple of restaurants. And there's plans in 2022 to add an elementary school. Well, if I'm an oil and gas company and I'm operating that pipeline and responsible for that maintenance of that pipeline, I care very deeply where those homes are, where that commercial center is, and where that school is planning is, is going to be right. because it's going to impact how I decide to operate my pipeline or how I'm actually allowed to operate that pipeline based on federal and sure, state regulations. Yeah. And so understanding how that property went from empty ranch land to now it's a single family residential subdivision with a business unit and a school, uh, all of a sudden yeah. that, that changes how I perceive things that are going and it's going to impact how I operate with everything around uh, that particular pipeline. Wow. No, super, super interesting and, and really relevant and important and probably something that doesn't necessarily cross everybody's mind right. on a regular basis. Yeah, totally. and, and this is something that's foundational and absolutely everything that we do. And I think that's kind of what we wanted to highlight from this podcast topic is that, yeah. you know, we, we don't necessarily think about how this is something that is so relevant. It's one of those things that when it goes right, we forget about it. We don't even think about it. Right. But no, when it goes exactly wrong, right. then it's a big deal. So, okay. So whenever we wrap up these podcasts, I like to kind of think about if we were to look into a crystal ball and we were look to the future, 
What do you think the future holds for location intelligence? I mean, technology is all around us. Everything is innovating all around us. How does technology play a role in the future of location intelligence? Well, first of all, I want to be 100% clear. I absolutely do not have a crystal ball because I wouldn't be working here (laughs) if I did. I'd be doing something else, uh, probably a lot more fun. Uh, But as far as the future of location intelligence is, I think we've obviously are going to continue to see advancements on the hardware and software side. Uh, that That's never going to yeah. end. We, we, we've seen huge advances in those areas, and it's bringing really strong insights and a lot of power to, to really do a lot of analytical crunching. Um, the other thing that I, I think we're going to see, and I expect to see, and I, I, I hope to be part of it, because it's what I'm focused on, is bringing more granular and more detailed location information to drive the necessary decisions that, that all manner of users have from, from mm-hmm. a wide variety of data sets, whether they're, whether they're property location data sets or not, uh, I think that, that, that having that detailed and granular information is, is going to be very important. Um, and the key thing that I always focus on with any new data asset, and I encourage my customers, I, I encourage my employees, I encourage everybody that I interact with yeah. to, to think about it this way, is think about the particulars around those data sets themselves, how it's collected, how is it validated, how truly accurate is it? Okay. Because not all data can be treated equally, nor should it be treated equally. Um, and, and you know, the, the saying garbage in, garbage out is never truer than when you're talking about data. Um, you know, if, if, you're, if you don't know, if you don't have the most accurate data, you're not going to be able to make good decisions and good insights. And, and that's why we're always focused here at CoreLogic on ensuring that our data is the highest quality. Uh, not just for our customers, but also somewhat selfishly, because we we rely on our, our own data ourselves for so many of our different business operations. Sure. Uh, that we, we recognize what's at stake if you're, if you're making a decision off of bad data. Well, that's, I'm glad you ended there, because I think that's just so important is, you know, we do often hear garbage in, garbage out, but it's really relevant and it's really important. And the quality of data is just of the utmost importance when we're dealing with just about everything that we do these days. Uh, And the only thing I don't agree with you on, Matt, is how could you find something more fun than this? This is the fun. This is... (laughs) (laughs) It is a good time. It is a good time. (laughs) All right. Well, this has been so great to have you here today on Core Conversations, Matt. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. It was a pleasure, May Claire. Uh, Anytime. All right. Well, we might have to have you back because uh, I think you're going to be a fan favorite. You're, you're a fun guest to have. So for more information on the property market and the housing economy, please visit corelogic.com intelligence. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode. Please remember to leave us a review and let us know your thoughts and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to be notified when new episodes are released. And thanks to the team for helping bring this podcast to life producer Rhea Tarakia, editor and sound engineer Romeo Roman, and social media guru Mike Wojcik. Tune in next time for another Core Conversation.